This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back. Another episode of Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast. Samantha Bohr, Colin Locker, and I'm Chris Hennessy. The day before Henrik Lundqvist's number 30 heads to the Raptors of Madison Square Garden and the day all three local teams play. We have a beat reporter from all three local teams. Sam's been hanging out at the Prudential Center this week, starting a new gig for the 2022 year. Sam, congrats. And uh, how's that gone so far? Thank you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Everyone has been so kind, so welcoming, and it's been a lot of fun to see the Devils play in person more than I ever have in the history of my life. Um, But it's been great. I love going. I love seeing them. And they're a very interesting team to watch, especially in so many games in such a short period of time. So I'm having a great time. And it will be a interesting game tonight there in Tampa Bay. Um, Yes. We have let's start with the Rangers because they're the best team locally uh, and they're tiring Henrik Lundqvist's jersey tomorrow. Uh, Quiggs will be there and should be a, a fun night there in Columbus tonight. And Colin, they they just keep winning. They had a heck of a comeback um, against uh, what was the game that Kreider scored? The, oh, that was against Toronto. We talked about that. Um, but they just they keep playing really well, I guess is really the point. Uh, and. They they have a interest. They kind of kind of have an easier schedule going into the All Star break, so they should be able to to rack up a couple more points here before next weekend. Right. The interesting thing about the Rangers, and also Sam, congratulations on the Devils gig. Thank you. But to get back to the point on the Rangers, the interesting thing about them is that heading into this season, again, I've said it numerous times on this podcast and other venues, nobody thought they were going to be quite this good. And I think now Coach Gallant is having a moment in which he's realizing. This team can compete with the best of them. And that's an interesting place to be for a first-year head coach because this guy just came in. He's had a cup of coffee in New York. He hasn't been there very long. The expectations have now gone through the roof. Even Larry Brooks is giving them credit. I mean, 5-1 and one in their last six, 9-3 and three in the last 12. Those are legitimately good statistics, good record-wise numbers. It's going to kill them that Cat goes out for a while. I don't think anyone's prepared for how big of a loss that's going to be for however long he will be out there being very vague in terms of what this injury is and how long he'll be out for. But really something I noticed was that line of Kreider's of Kako was coming into their own. They found a nice chemistry that was really working for all of them. Kreider, of course, being the main beneficiary of that. But even Zavanajet started to find his rhythm, had the hat trick against Tampa Bay earlier this month. I think losing Kako is going to hurt them. I don't think it's going to sink them because – This team seems to find a way to keep on going. 60 points, top of the Metro right now. When they lost to Shcherkin, I was concerned that Gorgiev wouldn't be able to carry the weight. I can't help but feel now you lost Kako. Somebody else is going to step up. It might have to be Artemi Panarin. Quite honestly, I would rather see them move Goodrow up into that first line. Because at the beginning of the year, when all was dark in the world and nobody thought the Rangers were going to be anything, they would plug Goodrow into those type of situations just to create some sort of a spark, both offensively and defensively. So if for my money, I would put Goodrow in that top line, see what happens, see what magic can work there. But really, I was reading recently, Gallant has the foot on the gas. I mean, that's the exact mentality you need to take with such a young team in terms of broad, broad uh, interpretations, especially as you come to the end of this, towards this break. This is the last couple of games they have. They have a really hard test in Florida. Coming up, they pulled out a win against Florida earlier in the season. It was not a pretty game, 
They benefited from a, a fast start, but Florida's no joke. So that's going to be the game that I'll be paying the most attention to. Of course, Lundquist retiring his number is great. All the pomp and circumstance there, but this team's looking pretty good, and it's only going to get better if they keep the foot on the gas. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that, like you said, at the beginning of this season, nobody knew what these Rangers were going to become. Um, and I think that's one of my favorite parts of hockey is you never know what's going to happen. There can be 10 game stretches, wins, loss that change everything. This team has been fairly consistent this year, which I like. I agree, though, that I think that losing Kako is going to be a much bigger loss because some of the things that I was looking at online were all saying trade Capo Kako, like he's not doing what he needs to do. But I don't think people are realizing how much he does add. And he's young. I mean, when you look at people like Troy Terry, Troy Terry also really struggled in his first few seasons. And then now look where he is. He's such a key player for Anaheim. So I think that losing Capo Kako, who was kind of starting to gain that confidence, step into his own play with those top line players. I think it is going to be a lot harder for them losing him than they think it's going to be. And I don't know. I'm really excited for the next few games for them. I think going into the break, it's going to be very telling. Uh, yeah, that game against Florida is going to be intense. But I mean, the Kraken hopefully are no problem. But we see there's an interesting trend of when these teams tend to play these teams that should be an easy win. It's not. I mean, case in point, like we know I'm an Avalanche fan. Watching the Avalanche play the Kraken was like nerve wracking. It was, it was a nail biting game because we went in thinking this is going to be an easy sweep and it was not. And I think that's a trap the Rangers can fall into and they're going to have to avoid it in these next few games leading up to the all-star break. And then afterwards, when we come back. And then you also have to think about the uh, pregame ceremony jinx. That is a thing in the NHL. You can't even deny it. Will you reunite in Boston? They get smacked by Carolina last year. That's the start of those like final six games that ended up getting Gordon and Davidson fired where they went 0 six down the stretch. The first, the first or second one was when they awarded Adam Fox, like the, the MVP team MVP award and the Islanders came out and absolutely stomped them. Um, so just something to watch there. Uh, and that will be a, that'll be fun night tomorrow for Quigs and for everybody who's going, I just saw, on Twitter that is more expensive than like almost all of the playoff tickets for the past uh, in that, in the Lundquist era, all of them, except for the Stanley cup and conference final tickets from that the year, they ended up making it to the Stanley cup final against the Los Angeles Kings. Um, so that's the Rangers. Gerard Gallant seems to be pulling away with the Jack Adams consideration and Chris Kreider scores his 30th goal. He's got the most goals in the NHL. Um, headed into the or just about to the all-star break so certainly a great season there on long island i'll be headed down there after we we finish up here the islanders win again they beat philadelphia they've won seven of their last nine philadelphia has lost 13 in a row i think that's probably going to be a topic for next week because we have a lot to get to this week but they are going to trade literally every single player on their team and i'm going to love every <laughs> second of it um anyways they win their seven, they've won seven of their last nine. The concern there, though, is the one of the teams they didn't beat was Washington. If you look at all the teams they've beaten, they're not particularly great teams. Uh, and you look at the two teams they lost to, it was Washington and Toronto. So um, you got to beat good teams. They'll have a test against Minnesota this weekend after Minnesota witnesses the Lundquist night. They'll come to UBS. Tonight they play the Kings, who's a solid team. So I think if they're – if they're able to win out, if they're able to go 4-0 into the All-Star break, they'd have to beat those two teams plus Seattle and Ottawa. I think we could start talking about some movement here, Colin, because they're ninth in points percentage right now. The 
Pulak practiced today. Palmieri's practiced today and is going to play tonight. They're finally healthy. They've won seven of their last nine. The Boston is, you know, old. We don't know what's going to come for them down the stretch. If they're going to make it run, it starts right now. Oh, absolutely. And I'll go this far to say that if Boston or Toronto, because Toronto is known to collapse every so often, as we know, if either of those two teams collapse, it opens the door for the Islanders to make a run in all honesty. And really, you know, five and two since the season restarted, really good hockey from them at late. I would really like to see their power play get better because it has been atrocious. They are 24th in the NHL in power play percentage. You cannot make a playoff run with numbers like that. They need. Oh, to you want to bet? There. I guarantee you they were not in the top 50% last year. <laughs> it's, it's, their, power play, their power play has been bad since Mike Bossy retired in 1987 or whenever it was. This power play has sucked for years and years and years and years. Uh, you're right. It, it's infuriating. There's like, a difference between bad and atrocious. They might have been bad in the past. This year's atrocious, my friend. It is not good. And they have the four home games before the break. That's critical for them. And I love the fact that they have those four home games because it gives them a chance to really wrap things up in a way that's consistent, in a way that's good, especially with Trot switching back the lines. I really like that. Getting Anders Lee and Barzell back together is a good idea because, quite frankly, if those guys don't play well, you don't stand a chance. I like what I've seen from Sorokin all year. Varlamov has been frustrating considering I had thought he was going to be much better than what he has been. Really, they need to play better against good teams. That's what it comes down to. And you play better against good teams by forming consistency. Switching the lines back to what they are now is going to help that. Hopefully, improving on the power play, fingers crossed for you, Chris, is also going to help them. But really, you need to do better than 2-10-3. and three which is what their current record against playoff teams is. If they can do that and get some help from a collapse from Toronto or knocking on wood, Boston, you can make a playoff run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's a, a fun little tidbit for you on this very day. It is, it is January 27th on this very day in 2019, the St. Louis blues were a 0.500 team with no chance to enter the playoffs let alone win. And after this day is when they went on their 11 game win streak and it ended up being the season that they brought home the cup. So I'm not going to go that far to say that the Islanders can repeat that one and bring it home, but it's not impossible like we've seen. And I mean, a team with a worse power play percentage than the Islanders is the Kings. The Kings are ranked 26th in the leagues. Like we're talking about bad power play rankings. They're worse than the Islanders. Um, I saw the Kings play at the Prudential Center against the Devils where they won 3-2. That was an interesting game. I think the Kings are such a big team, such a heavy team, that they're hard to play against. But I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be very telling. But the Islanders have won five home, five straight home games against the Kings. So I, th- I think it'll be a pretty fair matchup. And I also enjoy I like seeing that. The lines are coming back to what they were. I like seeing that these top players for the Islanders are kind of kicking it back in gear and they're actually getting healthy again. So maybe it's up from here. I'll be optimistic about the Islanders <laughs> for once and say maybe they'll go up from here. Yeah, well, there's nowhere to go but up. Uh, by the <laughs> way, uh, the Islanders were 24th in 2019-20 and 20th in 2020 in the 2021-56 game season. Uh, on the power play and that's just the last three years they've been bad on the power play for a long long time and it is a problem I'm not I'm not saying it isn't Colin but they have been in a bad on the power play for 
uh, a lot longer than just this season. I, I am, you know, decently optimistic that they can make a little run. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs if you have to put a bet on it right now, but I don't think they're going to finish the season under 500. Um, but, you know, they, they got to win a couple games here. And you mentioned that horrible record against playoff teams. That's definitely a concern because now that you have played all the bad playoff teams and gotten this many wins, you got to play uh, the playoff teams now to, to get yourself there. So that'll be interesting. As I mentioned, Kyle Palmieri is back tonight. It looks like Kiefer Bellows will hit the bench uh, in that return. I don't love it because Palmieri has been so bad, but it's possible he was bad because he was hurt. So got to, got to let him get a second chance because he did score seven goals in the playoffs last year. Uh, in New Jersey, it's another, it's just a tough, tough season again. Um, it seems like Lundy Ruff probably is going to be the coach next year. Uh, Dougie Hamilton is coming back very soon. He practiced today and the goalie situation is, is a whole nother thing. John Gilly, did he play eight of the nine periods in a three day in a four day stretch? Is that what happened there? Uh, the other guy got pulled after the first period. Yeah. So he played eight out of nine periods in a three in a four day stretch. Yeah. That's not good. No, it's, it's not good. It's really not, especially like poor Gillies. I mean, as we know, like Mackenzie Blackwood's still out. We don't know when he's really coming back and all that. And he's been such an integral part of the devil's organization um, that now having Gillies in net and having Schmid in net for a whole period um, where he was called up from the AHL, which like, I feel bad for him. Uh, that's it's a tough start. Having one of your first NHL games ever, your first NHL start and letting three goals in, letting, a goal in, in the first 15 seconds of the game in the first shot on goal. Like that is a toughie. So yeah, but Gillies has been playing a lot. And the thing is he is so inconsistent is what I've noticed is that of course, in the first game, he looked a little nervous, was missing some pretty easy shots, but as their games progress, he's just so back and forth. And it's when you can tell he's confident and he feels like he has it and the defense has his back, he's doing well. But it's those times when he gets shaken, when he gets scored on, you can tell that his confidence gets shaken up and he's not saving these shots that he could, that he did in the previous game. So I don't know. I really enjoyed being able to go watch the Devils play as much as I have. And like a very fascinating game for me to be there for. My first game at the Prudential Center was the game against the Canes where they won by a lot. And that was crazy. I really don't think anyone expected that. I mean, walking in, talking to people, everyone was like, we'll see those bananas. So if they can play like that against such a top ranked team, that's going to serve them so well throughout the rest of the season. But right now it's really just like Jack Hughes and Nathan Bastion and Jesper Bratt fighting to keep everyone afloat. So they're doing their best. Was it ever really about this year for the devils though? See, that's, that's the question I, I keep coming back to and thinking about that club is I remember when this season had started, they had a little bit of a hot stretch, quote unquote. They were playing decently. and Everyone kind of went, maybe? No, it, it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> but I have to ask myself, was it ever really about this season? I think the answer to that is clearly no. Mm-hmm. I think you have certain pieces that are going to help you and help your future like use if you're the devils. I mean, that's about it. That's all I got because I look at this team, everything else is really subpar. It's not like the Islanders where you expected more from them from the get-go and you're not getting that so you can sit here and and bang your fist on the table and be angry. And it's also not like the Rangers where you kind of have to garner what's happening on the ice with your initial expectations. It's a little different than that because no one really expected anything from the jump with the Devils. 
So it'd be really wrong for us to really sit here and tear into them, I guess. I, yeah. I, find, I have a hard time tearing into them because they're not an unlikable squad. Oh, I like Dougie Hamilton. I like Hughes. Yeah. Even Gillies is, is pretty likable. I think he, I hope he comes into his own. I like the underdog story. I think coming up from the AHL, the NHL is a very hard uh, transition. Personally, I think there's a difference between the two uh, speeds on the ice. I saw it with Swayman myself in those first couple of games versus how he is now. It's possible to make that transition and then hopefully come into your own as games go on and get more experience at the pros, obviously. But yeah, just they're not even performing to expectations and there were none to begin with. That's about how I would subscribe to this Devils team. And you mentioned the goalie kind of with that transition period. You saw it with Sorokin and Chesterkin too. That was for a different reason. It was different sized ice, but Sorokin, especially in his first five starts last year, wasn't very good. And, um, but it's coming to his own for me, this whole season, as I mentioned before, has been about Mackenzie Blackwood. I think he's been less than impressive and that they should go big game hunting for a goalie next year. That's my opinion. I don't know if that's what they're going to do. I think maybe, because as I mentioned, you know, last week, they had Martin Berdur in, the, in that room. And if he believes in Mackenzie Blackwood, then maybe I'm the one that's wrong because I don't see it. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes this offseason. Uh, we'll move to more of a uh, national take as I pull up these links because a big moves in Vancouver. Um, the We mentioned before about the firings in Vancouver. Jim Benning, Travis Green, they're gone. Immediately, Bruce Boudreaux was hired. And that – has turned Vancouver around. They were in the basement when they fired him. They're about 500 now. Uh, and then Jim Rutherford, the former general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who has two Stanley Cup rings from his time there, uh, was hired as the president of the team. And he made three big hires this week. He hired Patrick Alvin to be the general manager. He's the first Euro- the first Swedish general manager, only the second European general manager. And he was the right-hand man in Pittsburgh. He hired Emily Castingway as the Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager, only the second female assistant general manager in league history. He also hired Rachel Dory as an analytics. Uh, I don't know her exact title because I lost it here, but I think it was, it was something involving analytics. She's um, pretty like well-known in like the very analytics community. She wrote, a, I read, she wrote a graduate thesis on player development because that's what she does, I guess. I don't know. Um, but these are, Outside the box hires, they didn't go with the traditional. He's been a GM for 74 years, and he's getting his 12th shot at building a Stanley Cup. This is a complete change uh, in Vancouver. And, Colin, I have to say, I kind of like it. Get some new blood in there. Try and, try and you know, re- reinvigorate a fan base that has been ticked off since your team beat them in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of what's happening for a cross-sport reference here with the New York Giants right now the only difference is that the Canucks don't have a Stanley Cup to their name they don't have anything I really like the Alvin hiring because you're bringing in someone that's a proven winner the guy himself has more Stanley Cups than the franchise let that sink in you need that type of mentality if you want to build something that is worth maintaining in the future and for me it starts with if you can find a way to get rid of Yaroslav Halak I'll believe in Alvin Right off the top, I mean, I looked at that contract with all the, cl- the clauses he put in there. He must have been scarred from his time in Beantown. I mean, geez, if they can find a way to get rid of him, I'll be a believer in Alvin. Casting weight, same sort of deal. 
one of the most influential women in hockey before she got this gig. She's only going to become more powerful now, more respected now, which is going to help her and her career development, hopefully help the Canucks. In terms of what you do to have this team move forward, like you said, Chris, they were in the basement not too long ago. You go out, you get the new coach. Now they're playing somewhat decent hockey. Hopefully that trend continues, but I'm not sure if with contracts and everything that's sustainable for seasons to come, I think ultimately this comes down to a retooling, maybe not a pure rebuild, but I think there's things you can do to kind of hit the reset button without completely tearing the whole thing down. I think that starts with trading JT Miller and, and uh, Mott for two names that, that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, because I don't know what their stock is going to be next season. But I know it's very good this season. And with these people now in office, so to speak, you can get a better return for them now than you could next year. And I'll give you this. Alvin can get a better return than anyone who had worked for the Canucks prior. So the time is now to make those trades. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that uh, Patrick Alvin is going to have a lot of decisions to make over the next couple of weeks he's gonna have to choose if he tears it all down and rebuilds if he just does parts and pieces um I mean he hasn't even seen the team play yet though so I think that we're gonna have to wait a minute but I think it's good they brought him in when they did as we're approaching the trade deadline in mid-March so they've got like two months to figure everything out and get a roster going I think that as we know like you already mentioned Chris Bruce Boudreaux turned this franchise around from what it was um so, yeah, I don't know. I don't have too much to add that's different than what you guys said. I'm just excited. I mean, I always I love seeing a woman in power. So I'm really excited for Emily Castingway and for Rachel Dory to get in there. Emily, she has a, a really interesting like backstory, too, though, besides just hockey. I mean, she she played D1 hockey for four years at Niagara University, and she also has a law degree and is a member of the Quebec Bar Association. So I think that's just fascinating. But I think that and uh, I was saying that Rachel was also a financial analyst at like a big company. So I think that having these people who understand things besides just the game itself is going to help. An outside perspective is good. Sometimes it's what you need, something to flip it on its head. So I think that Emily will be really great in contract negotiations and in everything like that, because she was also an agent in Canada in 2016. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Definitely. She was the agent for Alexis Lafreniere for Antoine Roussel and a couple others. Antoine Roussel, funny because he's one of the guys that Jim Penning, Benning overpaid and then traded to Vancouver. So now she's repaying the organization, which is a nice move by her. Um, you mentioned good timing with the GM hire. This broke the other day. The Chicago Blackhawks announced that they're starting their GM search uh, and mm. hope to have somebody in place by the trade deadline, which you mentioned two months away. So they're going to start and finish the GM search in time for that person to evaluate the roster and trade away the greatest player, one of the greatest players in franchise history, Patrick Kane, which they should trade by the trade deadline. That's another episode for another day. <laughs> um, this organization continues to baffle me, Colin, and um, it makes me laugh because they're hilariously unlikable. And um, they're going to uh, botch this GM by rushing it potentially. And if they don't hire somebody, they're going to keep Patrick Kane when they can trade him away for two or three first round picks. Fascinating. Yeah, I think the word that sticks out in my mind from what you just said is unlikable. Yeah. Really, just every bit of news that we've read based on the Blackhawks. Oh, Lord. I started doing this podcast, and I was somewhat okay with the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, as a Bruins fan, not my favorite team by any stretch of the imagination. Still a little bit peeved from that Stanley Cup, but I never had a big problem with them either. You know, original six team, you can kind of 
No, I'm sorry. That front office and the coach, obviously everything that happened there with the scandal, I can't get behind them. And now they're really going to botch this. They deserve whatever's going to come to them after <laughs> they completely botch this. I mean, you're right. It's time to get rid of Patrick Kane from a logical hockey standpoint. Part of me hopes they keep Patrick Kane and keep trying to retool this thing just so they can slowly whittle away into the basement. I mean, ridiculous. I thought Seth Jones was going to be a lot better than what he is this year. I had said that at the beginning of the season that I thought the Blackhawks could maybe sneak in to the playoffs some way, somehow, just because they had all of these older pieces that had been around the block. I thought the same thing about Fleury, because quite honestly, I still don't understand why Vegas would not have embraced Fleury after a Vesna season. But yeah, I think they're just a massively unlikable franchise and it's, it's time for them to get their karma. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the Blackhawks. I've never liked them, especially after everything that went down this year with the scandal. Like you said, I just, I, I really can't stand them. I'll go on record and say it. Yeah. I just, it, ugh, it's painful. Yeah. They were never likable before, but yeah, you know, I, I say they should trade Patrick Kane. They absolutely should trade Patrick Kane. Um, but teams hold on to guys. They should trade a lot at the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about Philadelphia here in a different realm, but they should trade Claude Giroux. They should try and trade Rasmus versus the line and they should try and trade Martin Jones. Who knows? So that's the thing. Like they can hire a new guy who's all like galaxy brain analytics guy and they don't trade Patrick Kane. And that's what it is, but who knows? Uh, Philadelphia, the reason I mentioned them, uh, Keith, I witnessed it. Keith Yandel broke the mm. Iron Man uh, mark. Uh, he 965 consecutive games played, which is, incredible he uh this kind of made news last year when he was traded from florida to philadelphia and he had to like rush <clears throat> i like vaguely remember this story he had to like rush from florida to philadelphia to play in the game the next day to keep the iron man streak alive because if you remember pat when patrick marlowe was traded from toronto to carolina he never played for carolina when he was on the roster and that's what broke his mm. iron man streak so Long-winded story to say that congratulations to Keith Yandel. And what I think probably should have been a bigger deal, Colin, I mean, 965 consecutive NHL games in the middle of a pandemic for the past two seasons is damn impressive. Yeah, his whole career is pretty impressive when you look at it from the scope of what happened now. The fact that the guys played 965 consecutive games, I think about John Tortorelli, he'd be like, oh, he showed up to work. He's the type of guy that would say this is not impressive. Oh, he did his job. He showed up. No, it takes a lot to play this game at a high level. It takes even more to do it for as long as Yandel has done it. I mean, 613 career points, 511 career assists. Those are pretty impressive numbers for a defenseman, especially a defenseman who plays an old school brand of hockey. The guy is more of a blocker. He's more pure defense. He's not very offensive mind. I mean, 1,026 career blocks. I'll take that any day on my hockey team. So really very impressive for Yandel. I just hope that the older voices within the game don't diminish what he's accomplished here. Because I have a feeling that could happen. You're going to get voices that will be like, oh, he's done his job. He's just showed up to work. That's not praiseworthy. No, it is praiseworthy, especially with the fact that many of these guys undergo very intense conditioning, very intense regimens to get ready for a season. I don't know what Randall's regimen is. Randall Yandel's regimen is almost mixed up my sports there. I don't know what his regimen <laughs> is, but whatever it is, it's working because this guy is the Ironman. He comes in and out of these games effectively. He always gives it his all on the ice. 
And the game means more of that, frankly. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a big deal. Man has played over 20,000 minutes on the ice in his career. Like, I think it's undeniable. Like, that's a lot of minutes. Lot I think it's, it's a lot of minutes. Like, it's undeniable that this is a big deal. I agree. I think it should be a bigger deal. Like, I was looking up some fun little stats before. And when he began his playoff run, Instagram had not yet. I mean, not his playoff run, his uh, streak, his Ironman run. Instagram had not yet officially launched. Obama was two months into his first term as president and Iron Man, the movie had just begun, was less than a year out and had begun like the Marvel cinematic universe. So like, that's incredibly impressive. But now here's the thing is he's got to keep playing because Phil Kessel is right on his tail. I know. And I'm just like, how do you like, oh, it's almost like, no, keep going. Cause like you just got here. Like you worked so hard to get here that I would hate to see someone else take it so fast. But I mean, if Phil Kessel breaks it, congratulations to Phil Kessel. We'll get there when we get there, but he's got to keep going. So yeah, this game, I can't even imagine how much it takes out of you physically. So in the middle of a pandemic, when people around you are getting injured, getting sick to not miss that many games is bananas. And if he plays to the end of the season, Iron Man streak he'll get to a thousand too mm-hmm. which is gonna be pretty cool so uh yeah certainly congrats to him i heard somebody say uh two things on your iron man point which is one like in that whole that whole spiel about instagram had launched and obama was just been inaugurated it was marvel has released 26 whatever the number <laughs> yeah preposterous number of movies in that period of time and then somebody else said we should try and get a picture of Keith Yandel and Robert Downey Jr. the next time the Flyers play in L.A. <laughs> uh, they should they should meet up for a picture with the Iron Man mask on. And, the Iron Man too, but Keith Yandel seems pretty under the under the radar. He doesn't seem to he hasn't done a lot of press for this or anything. So maybe that won't be in the cards. But um, good stuff there. Uh, is there anything else that I missed? Oh yes, breaking news from earlier today: Evander Kane is going to get either suspended or not suspended by the end of the day today. And if he doesn't get suspended, he's going to get signed by the Edmonton Oilers. Um, this is a Frank Cervelli <laughs> report. Am I breaking this to the both of you? This came out like an hour or two ago. Yes, this is. Oh, this is like real breaking news. Okay, so <laughs> Frank, sir, I, I apologize. No, I, please. So Frank Cervelli um, of Daily Faceoff, he says he's reporting the NHL will soon reach a conclusion as to whether or not Evander Kane will be suspended. And it appears that Kane will soon be an Edmonton Oiler as uh, Sam goes for the face palm. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't like him. I'm sorry. I just think he's such a liability that I am just baffled that he's still in this league. Like, sorry, good for you. Good for him. Like peace and love. I'm not playing in the, in the NHL, but like, I, like you said, I went for the face palm and I mean, Colin and I both just have our hands like over our eyes right now because it's just unbelievable. And the fact that he's going to be an oiler, I mean, good for him, but huh? He's just also, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just don't really see the appeal of keeping him in the league. I really don't. I think he's a liability. I think he's caused nothing but PR problems for all of his teams. Some of them true, some of them fabricated, but like, oh, I don't know. I'm just frustrated as you can tell, but entertaining. Nothing else. If he gets out of this, he is the greatest magician <laughs> I have ever seen. Houdini has nothing on Evander Kane. At nothing. This point. And especially considering he will be joining the Edmonton Oilers. Not a bad hockey team. No. A team that is supposed to be playing better than what they are. And quite frankly, if he goes there, I don't think he's going to help them. 
because he's going to be a distraction. It's like getting Antonio Brown on your football team. I see it the same way. The guy is just a proven troublemaker. And something tells me he's going to get out of this. I'd like to think he's going to get suspended. I think there's no way he doesn't get suspended. I don't know. I think he'll get signed by the Oilers. He will 100% get signed by the Oilers. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He's going to get suspended. There's no way. If he wasn't getting suspended, remember when he when he got off for the gambling thing earlier? They 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 did the report in like 12 minutes. They're like, okay, we're going to do it now, and they did it. And it's like the next day, I was like, oh, it's over. He's suspended. It's taken like two weeks. He's not suspended. I should say. It's taken like two weeks. He literally left the country when he had COVID. Like I don't. I don't think I don't think there's any way he isn't suspended. He's going to get signed by the Oilers, which is preposterous, and I'm with you. Yeah. He's, he has to get suspended. I think there's no way uh, that you could go about it otherwise. And yeah, I'm with you guys. It, it, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But that's that's this league. That's sports in general. You mentioned Antonio Brown. He's certainly one where many thought he shouldn't have gotten the third chance he got with Tampa Bay, and he got it, and he blew that. Um, so yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. It's, it's crazy, man. Yeah. That was like breaking it <laughs> like two hours ago. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't realize that, um, that you guys missed that. Okay. So last thing I, I just wanted to mention, and, and you guys can hop in as well. Um, after, but, uh, the passing of Clark Gillies at the age of 67, uh, his number nine is in the rafters of UBS arena, uh, a, Four four time Stanley Cup champion, a hockey Hall of Famer, and from all accounts, although I never had the pleasure of meeting him, a Hall of Fame guy. Uh, he was a Long Islander uh, through and through once he got here, and uh, he he was very philanthropic. He was very good in the community, and he is you know in terms of your favorite player from that year. Obviously, I was not alive, but my dad's favorite player is Brian Trachi. My uncle's favorite player is Mike Bossy. But I think every for the fans in my era the face of that group is Clark Gillies. He was always there. He was always on TV and he was just always with this giant smile that you could tell this guy loved the game. He loved the team. And most importantly, he loved all of us as the fans in the New York Islanders. And he will certainly be missed uh, around UBS arena. Uh, I do think he he did get there in November. I'm pretty sure I saw him. Uh, So that is good that he was able to see that and see his number in a new rafters um, up there. And, uh, Matt Barzell, when he scored on Tuesday night, uh, pointed, and I thought he pointed towards number nine. I'm almost positive, but it, nobody asked him about it. Um, but I'm almost positive he pointed towards number nine. He was a, a huge part of the team, Matt Martin, with an incredible, incredible press conference about how Carl Gailey's meant so much to him, and obviously they play a similar way. And, uh, he will certainly be missed uh, in the Islander community, gone, gone far, far, far too soon at 67 years old. He will definitely be missed. An Islanders great for sure. Honestly, I think you said it the best. Hall of Famer on the ice, of course. During that 80-81 run, he contributed 78 points, 45 assists. Also scored the first really big Islanders goal. I don't know if you know this, Chris. I would assume you do as a big Islanders fan. Against the Rangers in the 75 playoffs. Mm-hmm. Best of three series. Clark Gillies gets him up on the board one nothing when they were underdogs in that game three. So many, many see that as the, the first great Islanders goal, but really this guy was just as great off the ice in terms of his philanthropic endeavors. Everything I've heard about him says he was an exceptional human being, did a lot for Long Island, especially with underprivileged kids, which is always a great cause. Really, he will be missed around the game of hockey and we need more people like him. Yeah, I mean, it's always sad to see such a, a dynasty player leave, especially so early, I mean, fairly young too. So um, thoughts to his family, of course. I think. 
one of my favorite thing that I read about him that's so sweet is that his daughter married his best friend's son. Um, as we know, so Bob Bourne and him were on the Islanders team together. And at uh, Bob Bourne's Hall of Fame induction, Gilly's daughter and Bourne's son reunited and fell in love and got married. And now they have two children. And I just, I mean, he and Bourne lived next to each other for 10 years, like they were next door neighbors. So I just think that was a sweet little light in all of this was seeing that and saying that he lives on with his best friend through their kids being married. So I think that's adorable, but yeah, always so sad to see such a great player gone so soon. Yeah. The, in the athletic piece about Clark Gillies, Bob Bourne is quoted in it and he talked about how he always wanted because the, their, their son is very young, I think. Um, and he was always, he was looking forward to watching the kid, their grandson play hockey with Clark. And, and now yeah. that's not going to be able to happen, unfortunately. And, uh, we mentioned the, the philanthropic uh, endeavors. The Huntington Hospital Pediatric Unit is named the Clark Gillies Pediatric Unit and the Clark Gillies Pediatric Emergency Room uh, because of his foundation and all the great stuff he did. And that's um, obviously a, a sad way to end it, but I did want to mention that and um, his impact on a lot of people um, and four Stanley Cups in the Hockey Hall of Fame, well-deserved um, for sure. So we will be... Uh, Wrapping it up for today, I'm off to the game tonight. As I mentioned, Quigs tomorrow. Uh, when is the next um, ga- uh, in-person game for you, Sam? Uh, it will be on February 1st at Prudential Center. Who who are they playing? I've got to remember now, and I can't, but it will be February 1st at the Prudential Center. I know that much. <laughs> uh, Sunday against the Kraken. I'll be there. The Sunday against the Kraken. All right, so we got you covered all weekend long. Uh, we will talk to you next week. For Sam, Colin. I'm Chris. See you then.